Well, hey, Harvest, happy Easter. I am not confused, but we are a resurrection people because of Jesus Christ. And every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we get the incredible privilege of remembering and celebrating again our risen Savior. I'm so grateful to be here with you today and be looking into God's Word together. You know, one of the reminders of Easter Sunday that happens at my house is that that little um, Easter basket grass that seems to stay in my house for like a decade. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, I have swept. I have vacuumed. I've really made my kids sweep and vacuum, which... Maybe that's okay or not. Uh, but it's still, I find little bits of that grass underneath tables and, and underneath the couch. And I found a Cadbury bunny egg wrapper the other day under the couch. It's just, it gets everywhere. It's a little reminder of that. And then this weekend, we are celebrating my uh, middle child, my son Elias. We're celebrating his birthday. And so there's going to be balloons and streamers and things like that that I will probably find under the couch for another week to come. But our lives happen like this, where we tend to move from one event to the next, to the next, to the next. What's the next thing on my list? I'm moving from a birthday to a big project at work, and then to a vacation that we've been saving for for so long, and then the school year is going to start, and then, oh, Thanksgiving, and then, oh, Christmas, and then it just keeps going. And sometimes we don't even stop to process and think about some of the things that are happening to us before we move on to the next event. There's actually a a phenomenon, it's called the letdown effect. It's actually after a big event, a, a positive or a negative event, but something big in our lives that right afterwards, many of us experience a massive letdown, a a saddening, a, a lot of feelings of doubt and a lot of feelings of like, what in the world is gonna happen now? I've been saving so long for this dream vacation and we had this great time away as a family and I get back and now what? This big event, this good thing even at times leaves us with a sense of confusion and a sense of, well, well now what? And we're going to be looking at John 21 today, where the disciples are very much in this place, this now what? It's after the resurrection, and Jesus is appearing to seven of his followers who are at this very place, this now what place. And here we are just after Easter, and it's my prayer that we wouldn't stay in this season of, okay, now what? What's next? But we would press on with encouragement and with challenge to the days ahead. To that end, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and the ways that you continue to instruct us from it. We are grateful for another opportunity to celebrate a risen Savior. Would you enable us by your spirit... Um, to press into all that you would have for us today. Encourage us from your word. Challenge us where needed and enable us to press on to follow you in greater ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you haven't already, grab your Bible, turn to John 21. We're going to be seeing here Jesus revealing himself to seven of his disciples. Now, the disciples have walked with Jesus for three years on this earth. They have seen incredible miracles happen. They've watched him. They've learned from him. They've served alongside him. He's even sent them out to serve on his behalf. They have seen incredible things happen. And then the one that they have left everything for is betrayed and arrested and beaten and killed. He had told them this would happen, but somehow they all missed it and they are left in a season of darkness. They're in shock. And nearly all of his followers desert him when it's the darkest for him. Even Peter, who's this rock of the church, denies him three times. But we know the story. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. They get to visit the empty tomb, and he appears to them. This Jesus that they have seen working so powerfully in the past is still working in their present. And the Jesus who you have seen work in your life in the past is still working in your present. The faithfulness, the power that you have seen Jesus displaying in your past, he still displays today. He still pursues, he still works, and he still calls. First, Jesus still pursues. Let's look at our text together. John 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. This word happens three times in this text. He's telling us about what's happening here. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself, there it is again, in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, this is doubting Thomas for all of us, uh, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee... The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples who apparently weren't important enough to give us their names, um, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Zero. This sounds familiar for these guys. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, the end of our text today tells us that this is actually the third time that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. Now, I really like, um, I'm kind of a nerd for timelines. I really like, especially when I'm studying scripture, when exactly did this happen? And so I'm going to draw a timeline here just to display my incredible artistic skill to all of you. (laughs) I hope you can read my handwriting. Okay, so the... uh, the cross is here, okay? Um, di- Thank you. Good picture. Great. Okay. His first occurrence, the first time that Jesus reveals himself is in John 20. Look at that. I think you can even read my handwriting. John 20, 19. That is the day 
the day that Jesus rises from the dead. It's Easter evening. So that's number one. That's the first time that Jesus appears, reveals himself to his followers. Number two is in two. two see, see, this is great. Number two is in John 20, verse 26. Okay, so this is eight days later. Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples. Now, He's going to continue to appear to the disciples over and over. We're told that he appears to them for 40 days until his ascension. So his ascension is 40 days after the resurrection. Got it? And then 10 days after that is Pentecost. So 50 days from his resurrection. Pentecost is the beginning. Uh, this is Acts 1 and 2. We studied it a little bit ago where Peter has this incredible sermon and, and tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit is given to his people. That's the birth of the church. All of that happens 50 days after Jesus is raised again. So he's revealed to them twice. This is appearance number three. As far as we can tell, this is about 15 to 20 days. So somewhere in here, 15 to 20 days after Jesus raised again. Now the text tells us that this is by the, the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. One and two, these are in Jerusalem at some point. But we are told in Mark 14, 28 and 16, 7... The, the disciples are told, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you'll see him there. So at some point in here, after day eight and before our occurrence today, they head back to Galilee. This is their home. This is home base for them. And here we have it, 15 to 20 days or so after Jesus is raised again. This is only the third time that they have seen Jesus at this point. And so they're still going to wait another four to five weeks uh, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this incredible day happens at Pentecost. This helps us get a little bit of an idea of when exactly this is happening. And it helped whenever you're studying God's word to figure out the timeline, looking for those little clues, it helps us know what the disciples might have been thinking. What might they have been feeling at this moment? This is only the third time that they've even seen Jesus since he was raised again. Remember, we celebrate Easter every year. They don't. This is the first time this has ever happened to anyone that they have raised themselves from the dead. And so the disciples are a little bit in shock with all of these things going on. It says that they're at the Sea of Galilee, and this is where Jesus had done the majority of his teaching, the majority of his miracles, Think about the disciples when they're getting into this boat just as the sun is going down and Peter says, I'm going fishing. They're hopping into this boat. They might be thinking about, you know, right over there is where we saw Jesus break bread and fish this kid's lunch and give it to thousands of people. Dude, do you remember that? That was crazy. And right over there, is where that leper fell down before him and said, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing, be clean. They saw all of this right there. They were in the boat with him when he was teaching thousands of people about the kingdom of God. And so as they're getting into these boats, when people, Peter says, I'm going fishing, they're no doubt thinking about all of these things and all of it swirling around in their head as they think about, what in the world just happened two weeks ago? 
my goodness. And now we've only seen Jesus twice. All of that's happening in the disciples' minds as they get into it. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, this is a little bit weird to me at first glance. Like, why in the world would you go fishing? It's just this huge event just happened. The resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. But again, this is new to them. And I think they're a little bit confused. Some people have said, like, I think they're backsliding. They're running away from the faith. And they're like, forget all of this. It wasn't like I thought. I think that's a little harsh on the disciples. And I don't think we see anything in the text that tells us that. Maybe some people are like, I don't know, maybe it's just, did this really happen? Maybe we just dreamed it all. I, I don't think we see any of that in the text. What I think it is, is the disciples are still coming to grips with the resurrection, with, with all of this that just happened. My goodness, my head is just spinning with all of these things. I think they're also thinking about like, okay, so Jesus could make a meal for all of us, for thousands of people, but I can't do that. How am I going to eat? Maybe, maybe I'm just going to go, we're going to go catch some fish to make a little money so we can just provide for ourselves a little bit. I think questions like, what did it all mean? Or, or where in the world do we go from here? Are totally understandable, given what the disciples have experienced and where they're at after all that's happened. It was all quite different than what they could have imagined or, or anything that they would have drawn up. And so their heads are spinning and they're a little bit surprised and quite confused about what's going to happen next. I, I can totally see them. Uh, Peter standing on the shore there thinking like, oh, we're, we're in Galilee. We're supposed to wait here. Jesus said he's going to come here. But when he does, what, what in the world is that going to be like? I mean, what does that mean for us now? We, we left everything to follow him. Or are, we, are we still supposed to? I don't know what that looks like. And, and then what are we supposed to do? And they killed Jesus. What are they going to do with ah, I'm going fishing. I, I picture it a little bit like that. Listen, maybe you've had an experience with Jesus at some point in your life in the past. Maybe he met you in a real way and worked in your life. And without a doubt, you can point to it and say, God did that. Maybe you came to the point where you recognized your sin and your utter need for a savior and realized that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. You turned from your sins and trusted Jesus Christ by faith. You turned from darkness to light. You turned from bondage to freedom in Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. He refreshed your soul with living water. But then life happens. And some things happen that, Lord, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that. Lord, why did you do it like that? And you're left a little bit like, now what? This isn't how I would have drawn it up. Lord, I know that you're good, but what in the world? And I think the disciples are at that place. And the incredible comfort that I believe they experience and we can experience today is the fact that Jesus is still pursuing Notice they're in confusion and they're going back to, I'm just going to go fishing and we'll figure this out later. I don't even know what's happening. 
But Jesus gently and even quietly stands on the shore and calls to them. He comes to the place where they are. He's not pushing. He's not demanding. He doesn't appear to be in a rush to like, let's, I'm just going to straighten your guys' thinking out. He doesn't do any of that. It's actually kind of funny because he waits till they've been fishing all night, catching nothing. And that's when Jesus shows up and pursues them gently in the same way that he pursues us. So when I'm in that place of confusion and now what and struggle and Lord, what does it all mean? And God, what are you doing in my life? And when am I going to see the end of this dark night with no fish? He's on the shore, calmly and quietly pursuing you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's there pursuing you. And maybe your head is spinning from some of the things that have happened in your life, even some good things and some difficult things. But very little of it that's happening that you would have drawn up. But Jesus is still pursuing. He's standing on the shore of your struggle, patiently pursuing. Jesus still pursues, and Jesus still works. Let's come back to our text. Man, that is an incredible drawing. It's a shame to watch it go away. (laughs) Jesus said to them, children, now this is, I find this a little funny, because it's like, children, you know, but it's, it's actually a little more like, like we would say like, hey guys, th- th- that's really what Jesus is doing. It's not demeaning or anything like that. It's, it's kind. It's just like, hey dudes, what's up? That sort of thing. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now this phrase actually uh, implies a negative. It's like, hey, hey, you didn't catch anything out there, did you? That, that's actually like more of the way that it reads. So, so Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is, uh, if you're new to the book of John, this is John. He doesn't like to refer to himself as John. This is what he calls himself throughout the book. So John's talking about himself. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself, it's like belly flop into the ocean, it threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus pursues them again, and he's standing on the shore calling out to them. Now it's very early in the morning. They 
it's, they're, only, they're about 100 yards off. They can't really see that it's Jesus calling to them. It's a little funny that they listen to some, in their mind, random guy on the shore, like, put the net on the right, you know. But for whatever reason they do, maybe it's just out of frustration, like, we've been here all night, I'll try anything, you know. But they do, and they catch so much that they're not able to pull it in. Peter, of course, belly flops into the water instead of helping his co-workers, you guys have a coworker like this who like, you know, we're working on some project together in a meeting and, and then, then suddenly you get an email that donuts are in the break room and he's like, I'm going, you know, and he just sort of leaves everyone because he wants to make sure that he gets the sprinkles, you know, that's who Peter is. He just belly flops and leaves all his coworkers there. I mean, we can't be too hard on Peter. He is swimming to get to Jesus as quick as possible, which is an amazing thing. And I really want to know what happened between verse 8 and verse 9. Peter belly flops in, swims over to Jesus. His, his friends are all hauling this net in, you know, struggling with it. What did Jesus and a soaking wet Peter talk about on the shore? We don't, we don't know. That's a question I'm asking when I get to heaven. Because I could just picture them uh, talking as the disciples are struggling to get there. But what we do know is exactly how many fish there were. Look, it says 153 fish, large fish, that they have. Now, why in the world does it bother to tell us 153 fish? Well, here's a couple of reasons I think so. If you have ever talked to someone who has gone fishing and caught a fish, you know it's important to actually get a ruler on that fish as soon as possible. Because that fish becomes bigger and bigger the further away you get from the story. Like when fishermen take photos, they don't hold the fish like this. They hold the fish like this so the camera makes it look massive. Sorry, fishermen, if I just gave away your trick. But it's important to find out exactly how big the fish is, exactly how many fish we have. They would have counted this because if they are going to sell these fish in the market, they would want to know exactly how many they have. But I can just see the disciples there. They pull the net ashore finally. Thanks, Peter. You know, they finally get the net there and they pull them all out. I can just see these, these seven guys standing around like, my goodness, how many are there? Somebody count them, you know, and they count up all of these fish. But here's the other reason I think that we know exactly how many fish there are. It puts an exact number on the miraculous catch of fish. It puts an exact number to remember what Jesus did. When God does a miracle in your life, don't forget a single detail of what he did. Pull out your journal, write it down, tell your friends, post it on social media. Do not forget a single detail. And here's why. Because years will go down the road and you will be in a boat later on in the middle of the night catching nothing and you will be tempted to say, was it really as much as I thought? I mean, 
Maybe it didn't actually happen like I, maybe it was just a couple of fish. Maybe it really wasn't all that miraculous. The enemy will try to convince you that what happened didn't actually happen. And you need to strengthen your faith. You need to look back with specificity on what exactly God did in my life. He's still working today. And I need to be reminded as much as I can of the ways that God worked in the past in my life. When God does a miracle, remember every single detail so you can praise him for every one of those fish that was caught in a miraculous way. It's interesting too, because this is actually the second miraculous catch of fish for the disciples. The first happens in Luke Five And there's a lot of contrast between these two. It's really interesting to look at the two of them together. This is Luke 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, he Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. It's, this is the same lake, the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, same place. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, Simon Peter, same guy, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. <laughs> big zero again. These same guys, do they ever catch anything? I'm not sure. Uh, we toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter, he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, same guys, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, it's really interesting when you look at these two together. One, Luke 5, at the very beginning of the disciples following Jesus for these three years. And the other, at the very end, after he's raised from the dead... In this first one in Luke 5, we see that there are two boats because they need the second one to help them. The nets are breaking because of the fish and they pull them onto the boats and the boats begin to sink. Obviously in John 21, we just have one boat, but they can't even pull them into the boat. And the author John tells us that the nets aren't breaking implied, my goodness, they should have broken, but they didn't. But they're pulling these in. The disciples, notice they left everything to follow Jesus. Later on in John 
21 that's beyond our text for today, he will call out to John and most specifically to Peter and say, follow me. He calls them to this followership in both. But the most staggering of all of it to me is Peter's response. Those three years of Peter's life, what a difference it makes in his response to Jesus' miracle. In Luke 5, he says, get away from me, Lord. I can't even be near you because I'm sinful. He recognizes that Jesus is God in this moment and wants there to be a separation because of the fear that he has. Isn't it amazing the difference that three years walking with Jesus makes? Where now in John 21, he belly flops in and swims as fast as he can to get to Jesus. Lord, I've tasted and I've seen what you can do. I've had a relationship with you. You have been everything to me. And no matter what else happens, any miracle that happens, I want to get to you as quick as I possibly can. That is so encouraging and challenging to me because Peter moves from fear to intimacy. All because of what he's seen Jesus do in his life and in others' life. When life doesn't go the way that you expect it to, when it's different than you would imagine, fall back on what you have seen the Lord do in your past. Not on what you're feeling. Not even on what you're seeing right in front of you. Not on the empty nets that we've been hanging off the boat for all night. But on the one who we know can fill those nets with a word. See, many of us would say, you know, I, I saw God work in my life in the past, but where is he now? Was any of that even real? We didn't count the fish last time. I don't know. How many was it really? Was it really all that miraculous? You know, my wife, uh, Sarah, and I, um, earlier on in our marriage, we, um, we struggled for quite a few years with uh, infertility, and I know that that is a struggle that's not... Um, unique to us that a lot of people have been there. And I can't even count how many times we sat together and prayed with tears after another difficult doctor's appointment. Another month of waiting. Another month of God saying, nope, not yet. The net is still empty. And over and over, spending those times clutching each other's hands, praying with all that we had, with tears streaming down our face, waiting for God to work. And we have, um, you know, 14 years later, we have three incredible kids that each one of those kids is a, a unique miracle. I, I mean, like, where doctors were like, we can't explain it. When the fertility doctor says, I can't really explain it. I've never seen this before. I can explain it. It's a miraculous catch of fish. I can explain it. We saw God 
answer. I know as much as I'm standing here before you, I know that that was an answer to prayer. You cannot tell me that that was anything else. I know for certain there is no explanation other than God filled the net with those fish. But I am sad to say that I hit seasons of trial. I hit seasons where I'm on my knees in tears, praying for God to answer in other places with fear welling up in me. And I asked those same questions that I pictured the disciples asking here in this boat before Jesus shows up. God, where are you in all of this? You see, we allow the appearance of things. I allow my experience right now in this tiny little moment to shape how I'm looking at the future, how I'm looking at what God is going to do. Instead, come back to the bedrock of the truth that we have been revealed to. Come back to the bedrock of what God has done in your life. I know that God filled that net with 153 fish, and I will never forget that he did it. So on those nights when I'm in a boat again with empty nets, crying out to God, where are you? Why won't you fill this net? You want to fill the net. It's a good thing for us to fill the net. God, why aren't you doing it right now? I can stand there with confidence and look back and say, God, you put 153 fish in that net. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how many are coming this time. I don't know what kind of fish, and I have no idea when. But you'll fill the net. You'll provide for us. You will work in ways because you have worked in the past, and I know that you will work in the future. That is our bedrock, loved ones. That is what we come back to. One last thing of this text that just makes me smile. So they get out of the boat, and what do they see? They see Jesus has made a fire, and there's bread on it, and fish. Where do you get the fish? Because they're still in the net, the ones that, that the disciples, or really, that Jesus caught using the disciples' net, really. But Jesus has already provided he didn't need the ones in the net. He's got them on the fire already. He already had them cooking before he ever did the miracle with these guys. But the fish in the net are there to, for the disciples. They're there to show them that he can do it. Jesus knows he can do it. But the disciples are still looking at their empty nets in the darkness in fear of all of that. Jesus had already provided breakfast for them because Jesus still works and Jesus still calls. Let's look at 12 and following. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast or for my cathedral family brunch. Come have brunch. Uh, Jesus, I love you guys. 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here Jesus is calling them back into fellowship. This breakfast meal together isn't just a meal. They would have conversation, and we don't know from the text what they talk about at breakfast. We know what they talk about after breakfast, but they're there just to have relationship with each other. And Jesus calls them back into this. Now, these guys, they've been, remember, they've been fishing all night, which would make you hungry anyway, and they caught nothing. These guys are hangry. You know the word? Hangry? Hungry? Angry? Bad. It's a recipe. Do you know people like this who, like, they will say, I'm hungry, and you have about, like, 17.6 seconds before it's bad. That's where these guys are at. How kind and gracious of Jesus to just have breakfast going already. I mean, it's, it's like such a little thing in the grand scheme of everything that Jesus does. But what incredible grace. By our, don't miss the, just the little graces in life. That person who had that word of kindness when you had that difficult day. Maybe it's in that moment where you're on your knees in your bedroom praying and weeping and waiting and God, would you do something? And your phone buzzes and it's a friend who says, I'm praying for you. I mean, it's such a little thing, but it's such an incredible grace and gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what he does here. He meets their physical needs with this incredible grace to call them back into relationship with him. We, also, we often think of the idea of calling as a calling to go do ministry for the Lord. And it is that, but primarily what we see in the New Testament, when we see the word call or called or calling, it's about a call to relationship. It's a call to salvation and intimacy with Jesus Christ way before it's ever ascending out. And these disciples, they've already been called into that relationship with Jesus. We saw it in Luke 5. He called them and they left everything to follow him. And here, Jesus is reminding them of that call. Could you just come here. Come on, guys. Come have breakfast. We're still in relationship together. Don't miss the fact that he calls to relationship before he ever calls to sending out. Now, these disciples will go out in just a few weeks and transform the world for Jesus Christ. Oh, he's sending them out. But first, he calls them to himself. Because if they are going to be used in the way that he's about to use them, they need to be reminded of what he told them in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he wants them to see that one last time. And now after breakfast, beyond our passage today, Jesus talks with Peter. And we have this account in verse 15 and following that's pretty familiar to us. Where, where Jesus says, you know, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus again, do, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? He reinstates Peter. 
He says this three times, and each time, Peter is allowed to answer, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus gives him the mission. Go tell people about me. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Jesus is reinstating Peter. He never talks to Peter about the failure. As far as we can tell, this is the first inkling of conversation that they've ever had about Peter's failure. Remember, when he denies Jesus, a scripture tells us that the third time the rooster crows, and it says that Peter made eye contact with Jesus as he was being led out of Caiaphas' house. Can you imagine that? Jesus told you you were going to deny him. You're like, no, no way, uh-uh, not going to happen. And then you do it the third time. And right then, you look into his eyes. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what that feels like. To sin against the Lord and then to look into his eyes. But what incredible grace forgiven in an instant and reinstated here in such gracious way. Jesus sees no need to ask Peter, are you really repentant? Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And Peter is restored and will be used in incredible ways in just a couple of weeks to preach a sermon that will save thousands of people. But here, it's all because of the call of Jesus, the call to love Jesus. And that's what he's reinstating with Peter. Now, maybe you've experienced some setbacks. Maybe you've failed the Lord in some ways. Maybe you've had some massive trials thrown your way that you never would have thought coming. Maybe you're standing over brokenness, wondering, will this ever be different, Lord? Maybe it's a sinful pattern that you've just allowed to go on too long. Or a way of thinking that's contrary to what we see in God's word. Maybe it's a night of failed fishing. Jesus, I have tried time and time again on my own, and I've failed again. Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is still working. Those fish that were caught in the past, he's still working to do it today. He's not done with you yet. He still wants a relationship with you, despite all of your failures and mine, despite all of the brokenness and the garbage in this world, Jesus still pursues us. Jesus still works in our lives, and Jesus still calls us back to himself because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever He's not done in our lives. He's not done displaying his incredible power to me and to you. He is not done, still pursuing, still working, and still calling. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your incredible grace that you give us in your son, Jesus Christ. 
And as we have stood the last week celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen, we stand today and each day declaring that same thing. We thank you so much that you have risen to provide us a way to be with you. We're grateful for the ways that you are still pursuing us, even in our confusion and in our doubt and in our struggles and at times in our sinfulness and all of the seasons where we just feel like, now what, Lord, that you still pursue We thank you, Lord, that you still work. The ways that you've been faithful in the past, you will be faithful now and in the future. And you are working all things for our good. We believe that even when we don't see it, even in the middle of the night in the empty boat, we believe that, Lord, when we haven't seen the fish, we believe that you will do it. Enable us to seek you with all of our heart, to jump into the boat and to swim to you as quickly as we possibly can. Because Lord, we know that you call us and so we want that relationship with you. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. So do it in our hearts and in our lives for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.